All right, thank you for that. The singing was tremendous this morning, and we're thankful for all of them and the time they put in to that. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 1 this morning. Um, we understand, of course, and the Bible talks a lot about patience, uh, being a patient people. God brings trials and so forth into our life to teach us patience. But <clears throat> there are times in our, there are some isolated times when patience is not a good thing. You ever heard the, the phrase, strike why the iron is hot? How many of you heard that? You know, um, let's take a trip back in time, okay, for you young folks. Do you know when you used to have to take pictures and get them in your hand, it was a hassle? How many remember that? You would have to go and buy a roll of film. You had to get a camera. By the way, you didn't even know if the pictures turned out. Okay, you take pictures and it's like, I hope that thing's not blurry. And then you'd go down to either a store or they used to have these little drive-through booths and you drop off your film. <clears throat> and then they'd say, come back in four or five days. Yeah. And you'd go back in four or five days and you got your pictures and you open them up. How did I do? By, that, by then, you probably forgot what you even took pictures of. Come on. And then, remember the one hour. Go to Costco and you get two prints for the price of one. See, that's foreign to us now because we all use digital pictures. Fact of the matter is, you don't even really need a camera anymore. <coughs> Most of us just take them on our phone. Yep. But digital pictures didn't used to be the thing. Do you know, <coughs> digital picture was actually invented by a guy that worked at Kodak. Kodak was like one of the founding companies when it came to, to film and cameras and that stuff. And they were the thing. In fact, they used to call it taking pictures. They used to call it Kodaking. Remember that, Jerry? I was not alive, but you probably remember. Oh. Right after the Civil War. But, um, just kidding. But, but so, so that was a big thing. But Kodak, the guy that invented it worked for them in the 70s, and Kodak didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were afraid that that would take away from their core business, which was cranking out film and, and the pictures that it came from. And by the way, in the 2000s, uh, uh, Kodak went bankrupt. Now, they're still in business, but they are not they are not at the leading point anymore because they hesitated. We're going to see that this morning from a spiritual sense. The book of, excuse me, the book of Deuteronomy is one of the first five books of the Bible. We call those the law books, the books of Moses. And it's the last one of that, and it is coming to the time as God is going to give the Israelites their final instructions before they finally go into the promised land. It's not the first time they had an opportunity to go in. They had an opportunity to go in 40 years earlier. But they miserably failed. And because of that, they ended up having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody over the age of 18 died. And then God was going to take those who were 18 and under at that time and those who were born during the 40 years, and they were going to be the ones to get to go into the promised land. The Deuteronomy, it literally means the second telling of the law. In other words, God is, as he's preparing this new generation to go into the promised land, he is retelling them what happened in the past, uh, what God had told them to, told the original group to do before they went into the promised land, uh, so that they would be ready to enter into the promised land. As we come into chapter one, the 40 years is over. They're done. It's time for them to move out of that phase and get into the promised land like they should have many years ago. 
And God wanted them to do it. Look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. <clears throat> the Lord our God spake unto us in the Horeb, saying, next phrase here, ye have dwelt long enough in this land. God says, you've been here too long now. You're already here. Time's up. It's time to move on. Verse 7, turn you and take your journey. He says, start heading that direction. It's time for you to get a move on. Look at verse 8. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and gave uh, and to give unto them and to their seed after them. You understand what God is saying? That first group that had the opportunity to go in the promised land, they didn't do it. And God's like, okay, the 40 years is up. You've been here long enough. It's time to get into the land. Basically, God is telling of our theme. Now is the time. It's time for you to get out of here, and I'm going to teach you some things, and I'm going to remind you of some things, and it's time to get into the land. And here's the key, without any hesitation. They hesitated last time, and they blew it. What's the message? A lot of Christians are like that today. We are in a self-imposed, wilderness-wandering type of Christianity when God wants us to move on to a promised land type of Christianity. Amen. By the way, I used to like, when I was a new Christian, like wilderness, it's like, that sounds like kind of a cool place to be. When I'm thinking of wilderness, I'm thinking of like, you know, we go up to Washington State. It's, everything's green. There's beautiful trees. Wilderness means desert. Now, I know, I know. I, I don't like the desert. Are you with me? I'm a Long Beach kid. I grew up by the ocean. I don't like the desert. If God called me to be a pastor in the desert, he would have to call, he would have to text, he would need an email, and I'd probably require a personal visit. I don't like the, I don't like, how many of you like the desert? Okay, we're going to have an invitation later, and you can come down here and get right. Okay, I just don't like the heat, all right? I mean, it's like, ugh. So when we're thinking of the wilderness, this isn't some beautiful greenery, you know, where they can shoot uh, uh, their own food and all this stuff. No, it's a desert. It's not good. It's hot. It's, 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 they're living in tents. Most Christians have that kind of Christianity. It was not God's will for them to take so long to get into the, will, to the promised land. God did not want this generation to waste any time getting into the promised land like the last generation did. And understand this before we move on. There were three uh, pictures in this story I want you to get. The first picture was they were coming out of Egypt. That's a picture of faith or our salvation. Well, the, Egypt was a place of servitude. It was a place of, of, of li literally bondage. And, and God parted their Red Sea. Get them out of there. That was a picture of salvation. That's the beginning of our Christian life. And the end game was for them to spend that 11 or 12 days crossing through the wilderness and go into the promised land. That's a picture of, of the victorious Christian life. That's, not, that's serving God and that's being a Christian after we're saved and, and experiencing God's blessing. It's a life of commitment. But that little in-between place, the wilderness wandering, that's a picture of disobedience. That's a picture of a defeated Christian life. That's a picture of living in a spiritual desert. Nothing's growing. Nothing's green. That's not what God has wanted. God did not want them to live their life as a, defeated, as a defeated Israelite in the wilderness. Neither does he want Christians to live a defeated life in the spiritual wilderness. 
God wants us in the promised land. God wants us to be a victorious Christian. And here's the question today. You say, oh, you asked the question, we can go home? No. Okay. Here's the question. Are you, are you there yet? Are you there? Are you to the place where you are following God and you're living in the spiritual promised land, committed to God and experiencing his blessings in your life? If not, let me ask you this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I spent two years in the wilderness. Two years. I got saved, and I didn't start going to church, but I knew I was saved. God was dealing with me. And for those two years, the things I used to get away with, I didn't get away with them anymore. The things I used to do without a second thought, now God would, 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 would bother my conscience about. And after two years, thankfully I missed the other 38, I decided enough was enough. I wanted to go into the promised land. So what about you this morning? Let me share with you. Now I know you're going to do the mental math whenever I tell how many points there are. You look at the clock and say, five minutes on each point times this. We're going to be here forever. And so uh, fast your seatbelts. It won't be that long. I'm going to give you six mistakes they made. Pastor, six times five is 30. Are we ever going to get to the burger bros? By the way, I didn't write that. Okay, it's pretty funny though, I gotta be honest with you. Uh, so let me, let, me, let me give you six mistakes they made that we can avoid if we're going to get to the promised land and not get stuck in the wilderness. Verse 22, he says, he, he, go down in chapter one, verse 22, we didn't read these. He's given some of the things that happened because <coughs> he doesn't want the new generation to follow the old. And you came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us and they shall search out us out the land and bring us word again by which way we must go up and into which cities we shall come. First of all, they followed the crowd. They followed the crowd, not God's commands. See, what they said was, well, let's, and by the way, on the face of it, it doesn't sound like a bad thing. Because they knew that there was going to be fights in there and they had to take out the enemy. God had already told them that. Hey, let's send some spies and they'll check some things out for us and let us know what we're supposed to do. They'll check out the land. They'll figure out the best way for us to get in there and, and, and a better strategy to fight the battles. That doesn't sound bad. When I used to coach sports, if, if a team we were playing was local and uh, we didn't have a game, I would go scout the other team. So when we played us, I knew what to do and, and how we could be successful against them. That just makes sense. But you know the story. That's not what happened. The 12 spies went into the land, and 10 of them decided, although the land was good, just like God said, there were too many difficulties and dangers. And here's what happens. The crowd, the, the, the people will usually follow the majority. They looked at the 12 spies, 10 of them, whose names you could not. If I said, give me, 10, give me five of the spies that didn't go in, you didn't know. I preached a message one, one time, and I, I mentioned their 10 names. Like, who are these guys? Like, I don't know. I know. I know. But we know Caleb, and we know Joshua. See, we like to follow the crowd, and sometimes to the detriment of following God's commands. There's just two things wrong with that. Can I help you with this? The majority is usually wrong. You don't believe me? Look at our politicians. The crowd is usually wrong. All around our society, and I'm not going to harp on it, although I could, stuff is being forced down our throat by the, by the minority, 
Because we think they're the majority, and so they become the majority. How in the world can Nike have a guy be their spokesman for women's clothes? And by the way, women, okay, this isn't a message, just give me a 30-second commercial, we'll move on with our lives. Women don't even act like that. You ought to be offended how these men that dress like women make you look. They're stereotyping. If I got up here this morning and I said something, I stereotyped a nationality, you would be upset. And I don't blame you. But we, you're, they're stereotyping you women. Anyhow, okay, back to reality. I wouldn't buy anything. I am not buying any more skirts from Nike. Moving on with our lives. But you know why they do that? Because the majority, the majority is usually wrong. Everybody gets up in a tizzy because no one will stand up. And by the way, it's, it's irrelevant because the second reason we shouldn't do that is because God's already spoken. God had already told them, this is what we're doing. This is the best path. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, God told them this, and this was years ago. They should have remembered this. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. I don't care if it's popular. I want to know if it's right. And if God's spoken on the situation, I don't need to like, what's everybody saying? And so it influences us to go the wrong direction if we're not careful. And that's what happened to them. Number two. <coughs> Number two. <coughs> oh, by the way, let me say this. We cannot be like everybody else, and if we are, we never will accomplish anything. We have to lead the way. I read this quote, and I loved it. Men and women who changed the world were men and women the world could not change. Think about that. We must prioritize truth and righteousness of God's word over the approval or acceptance of the majority. Look at verse 25. That's the first thing. Don't follow the crowd <coughs> over God's commands. <coughs> Number two, they saw the fight, not the fruit. Look what happens in verse 25. These, these spies, and they took the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God, which the, which the Lord our God doth give us. Do you see that? Yeah. Now, if they would have just stopped talking right there, it would have been great. God said there's going to be a lot of fruit. They brought back examples. It took two people holding a stick to bring the grapes back. They were so big. The land was phenomenal, just like, and they said it, just like God said. But we know how it turned out later, right? Nevertheless, nevertheless what? Nevertheless, there were giants in the land. Nevertheless, we were going to have to fight. And that was enough to push them off. They did not deny the fruit. They brought proof. They did not deny the goodness. They verbally confirmed it. Now listen, although they had verbal testimony and visual confirmation that what God says was true about the fruitfulness of the land, they would not take the next step and believe the truth about the victories God said that they would get in the land. Do you understand that? See, just because there were giants in the land that were going to have to be faced did not mean that God was not true because there was fruit and there was a great land, but they forgot what else God had said. When you go fight these people, it's going to be a mop-up job. I'm going to discomfort them. All you got to do is go in, follow me, and it'll be easy. How come they neglected that? 
because they saw the fight and they didn't want to fight. Understand that just because God promises blessings to our life doesn't mean we face battles. Just because God promised food doesn't mean we need to fight. And I don't mean a physical fight. We like Christianity that is super comfortable. Right? Well, there'll never be persecution. And we get all tweaked out because, because, because we're getting a little bit of our country. And by the way, it's going to get worse. Let me just tell you that. But look around the world what they're facing. God told us, they that will live godly will suffer persecution. Well, somebody said, what are you, a holy Joe? That just, oh, oh, how do you make it through the day? Come on. Let's not be spiritual snowflakes. God never promised that there would not be problems. He said there would be. Uh, The verses, he goes, listen, he goes, you build your foundation either on a rock or on the sand because someday a storm's coming. Do you know who the storm came for? It came for the person who built their house on the sand, but it also came for the person that built their house on the rock. But you know what? The person on the rock made it. It wasn't a big deal. And the person on the sand was flattened. It's coming either way. So why don't we just follow God and partake of the fruit? Because fruit takes effort. Look at a farmer. Okay? He, 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 uh, he has to prepare his land. It takes a lot of effort, by the way. We see, you know, bananas. Or whatever. They're trees. But whatever it is you eat. Tomatoes. You know, he has to prepare the land. He has to dig it up. He has to get the hard dirt out. He's got to make it ready. Then he's got to go through and he's got to, to plant and he plants the seed, and he takes care of the seed. And sometimes, depending on the crop, you might have to prune it. You might have to weed it. That takes a lot of effort. Yep. Then there's watering and fertilizing. He has to look at it and say, you know, it's a little dry. My father-in-law makes, uh, has uh, a couple hundred acres. He does Timothy grass. But every morning, they will change the water and move it and do the ditch. It's not easy. It, it, there's work involved. Then there's pest and disease control. Make sure nothing gets into the crops to ruin it. And then it's like, okay, it's harvest time. You know how much effort that takes? Bunch of people out there picking them or or running the machines all day and and separating it and bailing it, whatever it is. And then if they're businessmen, they got to find someone to buy it. And they have to buy it on time. Listen, there's a lot of effort that goes in. But can I just tell you something? The fruit is worth the effort. And by the way, let me just say this. Life is difficult and hard whether you serve God or not. The only difference is when you get to the end of your days, you don't have any fruit if you're not serving God. You have nothing but problems and miseries where when you serve God, there's a purpose to everything you do. Number three, look at verse 26. We're doing good. (coughs) I can taste the hamburgers. Verse 26. (laughs) Notwithstanding, (coughs) ye would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. They chose to resist and not to receive. They just fought out, said, not doing it. We're not going to listen. God's wrong. Moses, and by the way, they always blame Moses, right? It's like, you do know God made the plan, not Moses. But Moses always took the arrows. But, but they're like, we're just not going to do it. They started listening to their emotions. By the way, emotions sometimes get out of control. I get it. But don't make decisions based on your emotions, okay? Calm down until the emotions are down and make a decision based on what God tells you to do. They were listening to their peers and then their weaknesses. All of these things God could have easily overcome. You see, going into the promised land was not one of the options 
that God had given them, it was the only option that God wanted for them. Now, he allowed them <laughs> to disobey, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness dying. That wasn't an option God really wanted. God wanted them to experience his blessing. God wanted them to get into the promised land. I mean, he had made that promise years and years and years ago. He wanted what was best for them, and they chose to resist. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, he reminds them. I love this verse. It says, and he brought us out from thence, Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto his fathers. See, it wasn't just a one-part thing. God said, I'm bringing out of Egypt, but I'm bringing you out for a reason so I can take you into the promised land. God had a purpose for them. God had a plan for their life. They decided not to do that. Staying in the wilderness was not God's choice. It was theirs. Wasting their lives in the wilderness was not God's choice or God's plan. It was theirs. So when it comes down to the choices we have for those of us that love God or those of us who are saved, here they are. Two, obedience. Do what God just tells you to do. You say, well, what's my other option, pastor? Disobedience. Don't do what God tells you to do. That's it. But let me just tell you something. If those are your two options, here's your two, here's your two results. You'll live in the promised land. Things aren't perfect. <clears throat> Battles will come. There'll be problems. But you'll have God on your side and you'll have God's blessings. Or you can wander in the wilderness. You have all the same difficulties, if not more. And the difficulties you do have seem worse because you don't have God. And you miss God's blessings. You see, it's one thing to go through difficulties. <clears throat> All of us will, and probably most of us have. But isn't there a comfort when you go through that to know that God is with you? Amen. To know that there's something behind this. God has not abandoned me. Number four, look at verse 27. And ye, <clears throat> and this is a natural result, by the way. And ye murmured in your tents and says, <clears throat> because the Lord hated us. Oh, you mean the God that brought you out of Egypt? Oh, you mean the God that brought you out of slavery? Oh, you mean the, the God that allowed you to spoil and get back pay from the Egyptians? That God. Oh, you mean the God that's parted the Red Sea and, and, and eliminated your enemy, which was chasing you, trying to kill you? That God. He hated you? I don't think so. Then they also say, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. You know what that is? They chose complaining over confidence in God. Whenever you start to get off on the wrong path, you always start to complain. See, what we do is, and this is human nature, we all do it. Whenever we complain, the thing we complain about really isn't that bad. We're just not focusing on the good stuff. Right? Because they have that one or two or whatever things that bother us and irritate us. And so we switch our focus from all the good stuff God's given us, and we start thinking about all the bad stuff. By the way, you know, you can do that in a lot of different, you can do that at your job. Well, be thankful you have a job. By the way, you do that in your marriage. All you do is you focus on the weaknesses of your spouse. And let me just say this, every spouse has a weakness, except for Alma's. He has a lot of weaknesses. So we focus on the couple of weaknesses. What about all the good stuff? What about all the strengths? See, that's how we are. <clears throat> and when we do that, we start to complain. 
The found, and understand this, the foundation of complaining is just a lack of confidence in God. God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you, 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 why are you allowing this? God, I don't agree with this. So we must trust God. Then we will not complain because we understand God's in control. We understand God has a plan for our life. And the fact of the matter is, we just get it that God is good. That God is good. Complaining is the opposite of everything God wants for us, if you think about it. God wants us to have faith. But we complain because we're not believing that God knows best. God wants us to be thankful. But we're not because we're focusing on that we don't like. God wants us to have contentment. But we're not because we're focusing on something else we want that God may not necessarily want us to have. And complaining is selfishness because we're focusing more on ourselves than on God's will. Number five, look at verse 28. <clears throat> he says, whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart. Well, of course. Saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. No, they're not. And moreover, we have seen the son of the Anakims there. What happened? They listened to fear and not to faith. They were, they were all afraid. And so in verse 32, they say, Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God. And I get it. All of us struggle with fears. But you know, fear is only wrong when it controls your actions. I, 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 look, to, to go into the land and see some dude that's seven foot tall and has muscles in places you wouldn't even think of having muscles, and you're going to have to fight these guys, and they have walled cities that have to be taken down, and that's going to take effort, and, and it's going to be dangerous. Of course you're going to be fearful. But you know how you balance that fear? God said if we go in, we will win. So it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to just trust God and keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing regardless of how, how I feel. By the way, do you know the first city they faced when they went into the promised land was the strongest, Jericho? It had great walls. And what happened? God didn't even say, get the bulldozers out. We're going to, you know, God just said, why don't you just, let's get some exercise. Get your steps in. You know, the first day, 10,000. Second day, 10,000. The seventh day, 70,000, whatever. And then God said, blow the trump. Boom. God said, I got this. And he knocked the walls down. Okay? What they said was not necessarily untrue. But their fear was unfounded because God had already said, hey, I got this. Do what I say, you're going to get the victory, I'm fighting for you. Fear kills faith. <clears throat> and lastly, <clears throat> verse 33, <clears throat> who went in the way before you to search out a place to pitch your tents in the fire by night to show you about which way you should go in a cloud by day. You understand how God led them? There was a pillar of fire at night and there was the cloud in the day. And God said, I'm going to, when I, you follow me, I'll take you exactly where you're supposed to go and you'll stop exactly where, where you're supposed to go. But can I tell you what they wanted? They didn't want to follow that. They said, we want to lead. All of us want that. All of us want to be in control of our life. Don't give me that look. I want to be in control. Right? That's just how we are. That is in our nature. And so we have to rebuke that and say, I'm not going to be in control of my life. I'm going to let God be in control of my life. I'm not going to look at what to me seems too hard to do. I'm going to look at what God has told me to do. We have to die to ourselves. I read this story. 
a missionary named A.W. Milne many, many, many years ago. He felt a strong call to go to a small isle in the South Pacific. On this isle, <coughs> there were cannibals. There were other missionaries that had went there and it had not gone so well, but he was convinced that God wanted him to go and make a difference, which he did. Someone came to him and said, aren't you afraid that you're going to die at the hands of these barbarians? Here's what he said, I have already died. What he meant is, I died to my will, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. In fact, he took it so seriously and he wanted everybody to know when he packed his stuff to go to that island, he packed it in a coffin. Like, I'm dead. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Amen. And by the way, he made a difference. If we understand <clears throat> that these people missed out on the promised land because they made these mistakes, we won't make these mistakes. Now, <clears throat> here it is and we're done. Why don't you look back at your life? Or look how your life is going now. Are you still in the wilderness? Are you kind of just doing your own thing and God gets five minutes here and ten minutes there? Or is the desire of your heart and desire of your life to say, Lord, I just want to follow you. I just want to know what you want. And I want to look at your word and find what you say and just try to make it a part of my life. Is, or, or, or are you waiting? Are, are you going to stay in this self-imposed wilderness? I don't know about you, when God has something better, I want it. In fact, I'll just take better everything, okay? What about you? <clears throat> are you following his commands or are you more influenced by what's going on around you? Are, you? are you focused on the difficulties of life or are you going to get the fruit of what God says you can have? Are you going to receive God's blessings or are you going to rebel against him? Are you going to commit to God or are you going to complain? You're going to live by faith or are you going to live by fear? You're going to lead your own life or are you going to follow the Lord? You're never going to get to where God wants you to go if you're not willing to follow where he's leading you. I don't want to live in the wilderness. That wilderness was like literally less than two-week walk. It was temporary to get to where God wanted them to go. And yet 40 years and all of them died that were over 18. What a waste. Could you imagine that? 40 years, it was nothing but a death festival and a burial every single day. Think about it. Why? Because they didn't follow God. Why don't we focus on the promised land? Why don't we focus on the good that God has and fight through everything else? Let's bow our head and close our eyes if we, if we will for a minute. Every head bowed and every eye closed. <coughs> I don't know about you. I don't want to live in the wilderness I don't want to live in a spiritual wilderness, a barrenness apart from God, apart from his blessings. And let me say this, if that's where we are in life, God did not put us there. We put ourselves there. But you know what the, the good news is this morning? Once they messed up, God said, 40 years, we got to get this group out and we got to work with the next generation so they don't make these mistakes. But you know what the good news is? You don't have to waste 40 years. You say, I, I feel like I've wasted some time in my life. You know what? Let's head to the promised land now. Let's get out of there. Let's cross. Let's make a commitment and do what we're supposed to do. Before we move on, let me just say this. 
There might be a handful of you here this morning that are new, and you might still be in Egypt. By that I mean you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never experienced that freedom from sin's bondage and the penalty of sin. To make it easy, let me ask this question. If you were to die today, are you 100% for sure that you would go to heaven or do you have any doubt at all, even a little? It doesn't have to be like that. With nobody looking around, would you say, 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 Pastor, that's me. I am not 100% for sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven, but that's something I'd like to know. Pastor, would you pray for me with nobody looking around? Just raise your hand up real quick to I see it, and then you can put it down. Anybody at all? Let's stand together if we may. Where's your life today? Are you in the wilderness? By the way, if you're a new Christian, you're heading the right direction. You might still have a little bit of wilderness, but you're heading towards the promised land. Keep going. You're fine. Keep going. But maybe you're in a self-imposed wilderness wandering. Why don't we get that settled today? Maybe you're in the promised land, and you know what happens sometimes? We get weary of some of the battles. We just need to trust the Lord, and I get it. Piano's going to play. If God spoke to you at all, why don't you come? Why don't you come? That's what this altar's for. God speaks to us and we want to submit what he did in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we're so grateful that you desire something better for us. That, Lord, salvation, when we trusted you as our Savior, that was not the end of the matter. That was the beginning. And I pray you'd help all of us to get to the place that you want us to be. If we're making any of these mistakes in our life, we're following some of the errors of their way, that we would make a course correction experience what you have. Be with us now, Lord, as we spend some time together outside and as we meet back together again tonight. Bless these folks for coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a baptism in a minute, so we're going to sing a song, but before he sings, if you were our guest this morning, again, I want to say thank you. Hope that we will see you again. Make sure you get your gift on the way out, and those of the rest of us are here, just a reminder, we have service tonight at 5. We'll sing until we have the baptism. Page 28, while we wait for the baptism to get ready. Page 28, great is thy faithfulness. Let's sing it together on that first verse. On the first, sing it. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of No!
Isaac. Isaac, have you received Christ as your Savior? Yes, I have. Isaac, upon your public profession, I will baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear in his likeness. Praise. Tell us your name. My name is Dean. Dean, have you accepted Christ as Savior? Yes. Dean, upon your public profession, I will baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hold your nose. Get in front of me. Bear the likeness of death. Praise the likeness of death. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? I have. Okay, come forward. Okay. On your public profession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Step up. Step up. Bear the likeness of his death. That was tremendous. Thank you again for being here. Hope to see you at 5. You'll go to the courtyard. We have all the different food. And if you're in a state contest, God bless you. You can be dismissed.